0: This data-driven conversation is brought to you by Indicative, the leading behavioral analytics platform that empowers marketing and product teams to understand their customers' full journeys. Start Deciding by Data by going to indicative.com. You're listening to Deciding by Data the podcast that brings you into the C-suite to learn how data drives successful businesses. Today on the show, we're exploring how a few data points can be amplified across a network to generate powerful insights. We're talking with Tad Martin, the co-founder and CEO of Collective Eye. It's a platform for sales professionals and managers that collects data about the sales process from all of the companies in its network. It uses that data to make predictions about the most effective ways to sell to target companies. Tad told us about how far big data solutions have come within the past 20 years and what to look for in the future. This is your host, Jeremy Levy.
1: Back in 2000, the world learned that it was not yet ready for what the internet had to offer. At the time of the dot-com bubble burst, Tad and Martin had recently started running Overstock.com's merchandising group after it acquired his startup, Gear.com. He would later become Overstock COO. Half, if
2: not more than half of the internet world just went away because you had this massive dot-com recession where people realized that the, the, there are some basic business fundamentals that you need to run a business. And I think we were very fortunate at Overstock that we ran our business by those principles. We were very data-driven in the decisions we made. Everything that we did was supported by data um, in one way or another, whether it was How are we going to acquire customers? What types of products are we gonna purchase and and how do we price them to optimize the the revenue we're gonna get from them? Things that we ultimately got to the place where we started to say, what's the best location for a product in the warehouse so we can optimize pick paths? And so if you look at one of the reasons that Overstock was able to survive that recession of 2000, I think a big part of it was how we were able to make decisions by data, which
1: led us to be very capital efficient. The internet forced companies to confront massive amounts of data like they had never seen before. If I look back at
2: the size and the scale of the data we're talking about, I mean, it, it seems so small now mm-hmm. compared Quite. to what we have now. But at the time, thinking about being able to analyze terabytes worth of data, well, that was a huge, it was a huge undertaking. And, and it's interesting because we actually got to the place in 2003 where the size and scale of our data outgrew the systems that we were using to, to analyze it. Now, it's, it's probably not going to surprise you that as an earlier stage or a growth stage type business thinking very much like a startup, our, our, our data systems, our analytical systems were SQL mm-hmm. and Excel. Yeah, And this goes back, to, I mean, early 2000s when Excel even had the, the row limitation. You could only have 65,000 lines. Yeah we had 700,000 SKUs and we were repricing our products every week and so you started thinking about, how do you do that? And so if you think back to 2003, we had been public for a year, we went public in 2002. We were growing at 100% a year, we were doing 250, $300 million in revenue and all of a sudden we started to get to this place where we couldn't produce the analyses we needed to do to be capital efficient.
1: By 2003, when Tad was the COO of Overstock, There were only a couple of choices when it came to solving the company's big data challenges. One, you could go out and
2: one of the big five consulting firms and hire them to come in and do an analysis on your business, which would result in a presentation of a strategic roadmap. But that didn't necessarily help you on the tactical side of things. The other option was to go down the path of an enterprise business intelligence implementation, where you would go out and buy a data warehouse, go out and buy An ETL engine, you go out and buy an analytical engine, you go out and buy a visualization engine, you go out and buy iron, you go out and have to hire consultants to help you integrate this, model it, and build it out. And and that's what we ended up doing. It's a hugely costly endeavor, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. Those two things combined lead to things like statistics that say 72% of all these BI installations fail. Mm -hmm. It's just no one has the ability to stick to that because they take so long. Overstock was very fortunate in that. We did stick with it. Two, two and a half, three years later, we launched with this program. And if you look at what's happened with Overstock, setting aside their, their endeavors into blockchain now, they've been profitable. I think 11 over the last 14 quarters, are doing nearly $2 billion in business and it allowed for that growth to, to accelerate for that period.
1: This laborious process that allowed Overstock to gain value from its own data informed Tad's next business, Collective Eye. His now wife, Heidi, and her brother, Steven, had sold LinkShare, an early affiliate marketing company which had to go through a similar process. The three of them wanted to create a solution for other businesses with similar problems making use of their own data. They chose to focus their efforts in an area integral to business, but whose needs had yet to be met, sales professionals.
2: That's one of the things I really liked about going after sales in the sales domain is selling has been happening for centuries. And at at its fundamental level, although every organization will tell you that Their sales process is different. It's not different. Everybody goes through the same steps in the selling process. You have an introduction phase. You have a discovery phase. Have a a exploration phase and a proposal phase. And then there's a negotiation and there's a closing. Everybody goes through that. There may be different lengths. There may be different activities that happen. But when you start thinking about the process in and of itself, you can start to see what are the types of activities that are more specific to the company or the organization you're selling to that might be different from other things that you do. And that's what our machines are looking for, is what are the things that are specific to the the process that you're in that are going to give you the insights to help you succeed? And that's going to be different for almost every organization because the types of products you're selling are different, the types of salespeople you're, sell- you're, you're using are different, the types of people you're selling to on the other side are different. And so what the challenges for sales organizations are right now is they're starting at ground zero and trying to figure that thing out through the sales process, which is really, really hard. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for salespeople because how hard that is. But if we can shortcut that process and provide them with those insights earlier, we can improve their, their likelihood of success. We can shorten the sales cycle and we can make their time more efficient.
1: Tad and his co-founders wanted to create a true system of record with Collective Eye. Tad says that CRMs like Salesforce, where sales professionals are often required to log their own activity manually, have been held up for years as the gold standard of record keeping. In reality, he says, they represent mistake-ridden records that take an unnecessary amount of time to fill out. Collective Eye connects to the tools that sales professionals already use regularly to do basic tasks like setting up meetings, so the logging is done for them. Beyond record keeping, Collective Eye gives sales staff and managers valuable insights into their own selling process.
2: Sales managers can have complete transparency into everything that's going on around a sales rep's opportunity, including seeing what emails are being sent back and forth. Because if you think about how sales managers manage right now, they're managing relatively blindly because they're relying on what a salesperson's entering into Salesforce as the starting point of a conversation. But then they have to go into the room with a sales professional and ask them, okay, well, tell me what's going on. Is this deal really going to close next week? And the sales professional say, yeah, I had a conversation with this person and he says, we're on track. But then the, the manager has to go through this inspection process to make sure that, A, the rep doesn't have happy ears, B, that they're talking to the right person, and C, that there's nothing that was left out. Like, maybe we didn't send them a contract. And I think it's the nature of well, of sales professionals to be very optimistic because you have to be. Sure. You don't know 90% yeah. of the time. But without that context, a sales professional, a sales manager have to spend so much time really finding out what's going on, whereas we can expose it. So a sales manager can now go into that meeting having full context of what's going on with these opportunities. So the conversation can turn to, hey, let's talk about how we can improve our likelihood that this is going to close this week. Collective
1: CollectiveEye connects to the sales tools professionals use and offers them predictive analytics on how to best sell their target companies. Collective CollectiveEye is able to bring transparency to the selling process because it operates on a network of data. By using Collective Eye's tools, companies also opt into sharing their data around their sales process with others in the network. The data is anonymized and collectivized platform, but it can be used to make suggestions to others in the network about the buyers they should target, when to reach out, and more. Tad explains the concept by comparing it to Waze, the app that crowdsources driving data to help users avoid traffic. Waze is a data network. Every user
2: that is using Waze is contributing their data to this network that is then being used, that data is then being used to help guide you to where you want to go. And every one of us has had the experience where you look at ways and go, I've done this drive a hundred times. Why would I want to go that way? And yet you either don't do it and you find out that you were wrong, or you do do it because you've trusted this network. What Collective Eye is doing is that same thing. If you think about how sales works today, sales professionals are trying to figure out who on the buying side I should be talking to, who's going to play what roles, how do I navigate the organization, which lawyers are going to be good, and, and how does the buying process of that organization work? Because we're a network, we, we see those things because there's inputs coming from all different parts of our network. So we can provide that roadmap for the sales professionals to know who are the people that should be involved in the deal, what roles are going to play, when are things going well, when are they not going well, what are the types of, of objections you can, be, you, you can be seeing, the things that will help you shortcut
1: a lot of the problems and things that you can't see right now. Help me understand what are the actual insights that a sales professional would get from using Collective Eye? From a sales professional point of view, it'll help surface things that you wouldn't be aware of other than
2: being a part of this network. So recommended buyers is probably the first example. You get a get a warm introduction to someone in your organization and you're starting a sales process with this organization. We start to map in all the different activities that you're performing. And then we look at the network and we may say, hey, it's great that you're talking to Mary. But we've seen her in these buying processes over the last six months, and she's merely an influencer. The decision maker is most likely to be Mike, and then we can then let you drill into Mike, and we might be able to tell you, okay, well, Mike is connected to this other person that you used to work with this this company. You may want to reach out to Mike to be able to get that information.
1: I think about so much of the, at least the enterprise sales process, is being based on relationships and having a good communications with your prospects. Does this replace the, the notion of grabbing drinks after work with, with who I'm selling to to get that sort of back channel information. Is that is that what is that what this provides? No, it's just the it's just the opposite of that actually what you think if if you think about
2: what I consider the the most valuable things that salespeople do, it's understanding people, developing empathy and creating relationships. And if they're spending twenty to thirty percent of their time not doing that by doing data entry or sitting in meetings or whatever it is that's not helping contribute to that, then why not let machines do the things that they're good at and free up a sales professional's time to do more of the things that they're better at? And there's always these discussions around are machines going to be able to replace people? In a lot of cases, that's true. In certain instances, that's not going to be the case. And I think the, the interpersonal skills of salespeople is going to be very, very hard for machines to replace. And so if we can free up their time so that they can spend more time going out and grabbing drinks and figuring out, am I talking to the right person? Or how do I make sure that I keep this deal on track? That's one of the things. The second thing it does is it helps uncover people in your network that can help you do that more effectively.
0: We're going to take a short break. But when we return, Tad will debunk common sales myths with data. Stay tuned. This podcast is brought to you by Indicative, the leading behavioral analytics platform that allows business users to optimize acquisition, engagement, and retention. Indicative enables marketing and product teams to do sophisticated behavioral analysis across all of their customers' digital touch points without the need to rely on data scientists. To learn more, go to indicative.com or email info at Indicative.com. Welcome back to Deciding by Data. We're talking with Tad Martin, co-founder and CEO of Collective Eye, a data network that helps sales professionals make more intelligent, data-driven decisions. Tad explained why a network is a better predictor and system of record for sales professionals than standard CRMs. Now, Tad will tell us what sales professionals get wrong about selling when they don't rely on the data.
1: Have there been insights that you've been able to gather from the data that you're collecting that have been counterintuitive to what my instinct would be as a sales professional?
2: <laughs> yes. The best example I have outside of what we usually see for the first couple of weeks is the first thing we always hear is, well, your system's wrong. That can't be my data. And it's because it's the first time they actually get to see their data in in its true form. And that's, that's part of our onboarding process. And, and once they start to realize it, they start to drill into some of the things. But one of, the, one, of the, one of the biggest insights that most organizations find in the first 30 to 60 days is they realize that their pipeline is not what they think it is. And there's a reason that the rule of thumb in most organizations is I need 3x my pipe to make my numbers. It's because two-thirds of my pipe is crap and I just don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, with an application like this where you can start to look at real odds of success, and if you look at most CRMs, they're set up to map odds to a stage, which is only as good as people are accurately reporting those things. But because we use AI and systems to have predictions on what's going to sell, you can start mapping up odds of success with how long a deal has been in the pipeline. And it's not uncommon for organizations for the first time to see that they've had this deal in their pipeline for a year and a half, two years. And they have a three-month sales cycle. And the odds of success are 10%. So as a manager, you can have the conversation Is why is this deal even in your pipeline? Why, why don't we remove these, these deals and free up your pipeline so I can actually put deals that you might have a better likelihood of, of succeeding with? And it's just the nature of how things work. Everyone is very short-term focused. How do I make my number this month, this quarter?
1: I'll worry about the future after that. The 3X rule still stands, but it's only how accurate the actual opportunities in your pipeline are.
2: Yeah. Well, I would argue that the 3X rule should become much more efficient. If our systems are doing a job predicting what is going to succeed and what isn't going to succeed, managers will start to be able to say, I'm going to kill these three deals so I can put three more deals in there to help you succeed. So you're going to either drive more efficiency and get more out of your representatives, or you're going to
1: drive more revenue because they're going to be able to have a bigger impact in what they're doing. You mentioned the AI aspect, and I think you said ML also, Talk me through, what does AI actually mean in the context of collective eye? Because <laughs> I, I ask this a lot of people, and the term AI is like the cloud from 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, no one knows what it means. Right. <laughs> what does it mean to you? Well, so, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to get into a deep
2: discourse of AI, because, and I would recommend that for those of you people listening who haven't listened to the podcast you did with Matt Turk, because that was probably one of the most effective descriptions of what AI is. Because in my perspective, AI is kind of the new big data. Yeah, It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's it's the subsets of that. It's the machine learnings. It's neural networks. It's the deep learning. It's it's the things. It's how you apply different methods depending on the objective you're trying to solve for. But because we're selling to line of business, a lot of the people that are running sales teams don't have that next level of understanding. And so you have to find that that middle ground of, okay, well, how does that work? So in most organizations, when we're talking... We actually don't even talk much about AI because it's the predictions and the network and giving people information they didn't have access to that's valuable to them. When we talk about it internally and how we're going to design what we're doing, it depends on the problem we're solving. When we start thinking about mapping users in our network so that we can connect them, when we talk about neural networks. When we talk about making sure that we're, we're our predictions, whether it's around forecasting or, or probabilities or predictions, are accurate. We talk about machine learning. So it really is what's the best approach to solve the problem that we need to solve for. Uh, so it, again, it could, it's, it's, it's lots of different things and we're using lots of different things depending on what part of the application needs to consume it.
1: Tad said that one technology Collectify is testing is natural language processing. This is a type of AI that allows computers to understand human language.
2: What you're starting to hear a lot more is how effective um, NLP can be in being able to understand dialogues and conversations. We're doing some really interesting things uh, related to that. Still, it's still early in in some of the applications.
1: But, Do you mean like conversational interfaces, or just interpreting sentiment from natural language from from freeform. And and it's not and it's
2: not just sentiment. It's also being able to 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 map intent. It's being able to understand uh, how different communication styles work with different people. And ultimately, even being able to recommend a specific way to reach somebody. So if I'm a sales professional, I probably have my canned response that I do as a thank you, as a follow-up that I customize to two from and maybe a line of something personal I met. But if within our network, our systems can start to say that this person will respond to this, this type of emotional construct then we can start recommending communications that will give you a higher likelihood of getting the, re- the response that you need. So there's some really interesting things going on there. It's a really hard problem to solve for not only technical reasons, but uh, psychological reasons. But uh, there's there's some interesting things going on there. If you look at what Alexa and Cortana and, and Siri are doing in, 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 the, in the processing of language and being able to interpret and understand, I think it's interesting. There's companies that are doing nice jobs of taking that as, as, a, as a form to be able to be a data input. And again, as, you, as you're able to effectively transcribe that, then it becomes available for these other technologies. But I haven't seen a lot out there that's really integrated something into an end-to-end solution other than these tools that help you do some of these things. And that's, that's where we're really focused on. How do these tools help us provide the insights to get, get what you're done? Because if you're just doing more effective data capture, that, there, there's a value in that, but the ROI is limited.
1: A network of data means that there's a lot of data to protect. We wanted to know how Collective I handles that responsibility in a time where data security is top of mind for every business. It's a really interesting time right now with data privacy. Both GDPR being rolled out, there's a lot of controversy around Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. You're not collecting data on individuals, uh, more companies. But is, is there a responsibility from a privacy perspective around some of the data that you're collecting, and how do you how do you think about that? So first and foremost, everything that
2: comes into our system gets anonymized when it goes into the network. So when when we're, we're analyzing it, even the systems don't even know any individual information. I mean, we've been building this for for quite a long time. And based on our backgrounds with what we did at, at, at Overstock and LinkShare, we're very familiar with systems that you need to have security and deal with PCI and these other compliances. So from the very beginning, we've been very cognizant and aware of making sure that our systems have that security involved. We also need to do so in the application and what you share users. And so if you're not part of the network, you, you can't come in and find certain things about opportunities and deals. It's just the nature of how we protect users from the system. You never get to see any other user's information unless you're invited into an opportunity. We have this concept of team selling where if I'm selling a company and you have a relationship there, I might invite you into my opportunity so you can help me sell them. And so I would share the information related to that opportunity, but that's the only thing you would see. We're very careful about making sure we
1: restrict what what people have access to to protect uh, that information from companies. Are there risks with this model? I mean, not specifically Collective Eye, but the idea of just aggregating data on scale, on individual people. There's really powerful applications of it, but it strikes me there's also enormous risks. Are you thinking at all about whether or not it's appropriate from a legislative perspective to create laws around privacy? I mean, we, we talk about it and we're we consider it in, in all
2: of our application development and, and, and the products that we build. But again, because we're, we're dealing with business data, it's it's a different question for us because it's 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 less around privacy and making and it's much more about security and I I'm not saying that's an easier or, or less complex problem to solve but I think it is a little bit different I mean we do have the ability for individuals to come up and sign up themselves and so there is that element of privacy that we're we're always um, staying on top of but I've I've given up on trying to to predict what legislators mm-hmm. will do and and whether you agree with GDPR or not um, you think it's too overreaching it is what it is and figuring out the best ways to make sure that, that you're complying with it. Are there GDPR implications for Collective Eye? No. I mean, we've again, we've from the very beginning, we've always thought about our users, our, our security, and, and keeping information um, within the right context of what you need it for. And so, I mean, we've had to update some policies. We've had to make some tweaks in how we do certain things in technology. Yeah. But we have not had to re-architect anything. Right. We've not, we haven't had to—it hasn't been— a huge tremendous effort that's cost us a lot to be able to do it. And I think I, I always look at things from the perspective of if you do what's right for your users and you do what's right for your companies and you're cognizant about the best ways to keep people protected and provide the most value, something really crazy has to happen for, for it to be a big miss for you.
1: With all the technology we use from the moment we wake up in the morning, Tad feels that sales technology has lagged behind. He hopes Collective Eye can make sales professionals more data-driven by modernizing the tools they use to make decisions.
2: A lot of people wake up in the morning. They pick up their phone, they check the weather. They walk into the kitchen and they ask Alexa, what's the latest news? They talk to Alexa and say, hey, here's, here's my Spotify. Can you play this music? Uh, they get in the car, they turn on Waze. And before they start driving, they log into their Starbucks app. So the Starbucks coffee's waiting for them. And then they get to the office. And then think about the experience that you have when you're in the office. You stand in front of your desktop, you open Excel, you open Salesforce. It it feels like you've kind of (laughs) left this this world of modern applications to go back into these enterprise technologies, which have not kept up with how users are now used to being able to do that. And so the only way we saw that we were going to be able to use that and do that was to take ourselves out of the paradigm of how people think about CRM and develop a standalone application that people would want to interact with because it is more akin to how they interact with software and applications outside of their enterprise day-to-day work.
0: Thanks for listening to Deciding by Data.
1: This episode was produced and edited by Lauren Finer.
0: And hosted by Jeremy Levy, the co-founder and CEO of Indicative.
1: Our music is by Chris Zabritsky and Boxcat Games. New episodes are released every two weeks Tune in next time when we speak with Vijay Subramanian, the Chief Analytics Officer of Rent the Runway. Many consumers think of Rent the Runway as a fashion company, but what makes it truly unique is their technology. Vijay was brought in as the first C-suite hire, so he could bake analytics into the foundation of the company. Vijay shared with us how he built a data-driven company from the ground up, and highlighted ways that data continues to drive the business.
0: To learn how to make your company data-driven like the ones on our show, Check out Indicative, the behavioral analytics company that makes this podcast possible. Indicative empowers marketing and product teams to do sophisticated behavioral analysis across all of their customers' digital touch points without having to rely on data teams. Start Deciding by Data today by going to Indicative.com. To stay up to date on the latest episodes and data news, sign up for our newsletter at DecidingByData.com or follow us on Twitter at DecidingByData.